So I'm a, I'm a teacher, and if you're okay, I would like to kind of dive into a little bit of teaching. Is that all right? Um, you guys are really blessed in this place because I've been here several times now, and I've heard Papa Mike teach, and then I've heard John teach, and that's some deep stuff. So the question only becomes, are we going to be the type of people to receive this? So that's, I mean, as much as I I thought about what could I share today and prayed about it, the Lord just kept it really simple. So we'll put it up on the screen, Matthew 13. But if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Matthew 13, um, yeah, I'm just going to read a little bit, then we're going to expound. Jesus Jesus is walking around healing people, right? He's he's a legit dude. And so because of that, people are following him around, and they want to see the magic tricks that he does, and everybody is astounded by Jesus. So hundreds and thousands of people are following him around everywhere he goes to the point where he has to We'll, we'll see in a minute. He has to separate himself from the crowds and jump out into a boat so he doesn't get mobbed. And, he's, and they want him to teach them some stuff. And then instead of, instead of coming and telling them all of these deep insights, he starts talking about farming, which is just a little weird. And we're going to explore that today. So it goes like this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Can you just imagine the people going, Jesus, we know about farming. We came because you're awesome. We want to see some stuff. And he's just talking about farming. He keeps going. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And then he says, He who has ears, whoever has ears, let them hear. Can you imagine the mass exodus that happens? Like people walk away. That wasn't a very good church service. You know, I didn't really like, I didn't really like, I didn't really like his study of the word. I didn't really like how he broke it down. He just talked about farming. Like I've seen him heal a blind guy before, but he just, when it's time to listen to him, he just talks about farming. I didn't really enjoy that that service very much but a few people stuck around his disciples the followers because they heard that last little part whoever has ears let them hear and they might have thought of something like why is Jesus talking about soil like why is he talking about dirt and 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 these guys like they're forced to study if you, if all the, all the little young Jewish boys, as many of us know, they're forced to study the Old Testament, right? 
Like they're forced to memorize the thing. They're, they're grilled on it. Only the very, 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 very best make it to become like teachers and rabbis and that stuff. But these guys, a couple of them might have really recognized something. And that's this little verse in Genesis 2-7. I just want to share with you. This is for our, our little, uh, little insight to go, to go a little deeper. In Genesis 2-7, it'll pop up in a minute, but here's what it says. Then the Lord God, this is God creating the world, right? Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so some people think Jesus is just talking about farming and like, if you want to be a good farmer, here's how you sow your seed, right? So Jesus uses this analogy of like rocks and thorns and weeds. And it's, it's pretty simple. Like during that time, there's a field, it, there's a walkway around the field, there's a stone wall around that field, there's, uh, around that, that field, and then there's thorns on top of that stone wall. It's to keep animals out. And so as a farmer's walking around, he's, he's got a bag of seed. He's just throwing it everywhere he's walking. He's not like taking individual seeds and planting them. That would take forever. He's just throwing. He's sowing seeds. And he's not really caring about where it lands. He's throwing them in the general direction of his field. And some of that seed is falling on the path where it can't even get down deep and the birds come and eat it. And some of it falls on the rocky wall there and it obviously can't get a root or a deep root at all so it might spring up real quick but then it's dead some of it falls in amongst the thorns the thorns take all the water the thorns take all the sunlight they're like this huge mass you know and so it it gets choked out and it dies and and so he's just saying hey if you know some of the seed that that farmers throw out some of it lands in all these places but then if it actually lands in the field it grows it fills up the fill the field and it produces a lot more and everyone's like we know this jesus why are you telling us something we don't know and then he says he who has ears let him hear and 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 the disciples might have been reminded of that verse that that people were created out of what oh the soil of the ground and so then like then this little story about farming all of a sudden becomes this huge epiphany Oh, Jesus is talking about me. He's talking about farming, but he's talking about me. He's talking about dirt, but he's talking about me. In fact, he's intentional enough to say, I made you out of dirt, and now I'm going to throw stuff into you. And so, and so to break this thing down is like, do you have ears to hear that Jesus is talking about you? Do I have ears to hear that Jesus is talking about me? And his disciples still, they don't even, they don't even get it later. They ask him, can you explain this parable to us? Because we get, we get the farming piece, but can you go a little deeper with us? And so in the same chapter, Jesus actually, I mean, th- there's some us today where we kind of get it, you know? We kind of like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I don't, if I dive in deep, we could have some deeper discussions about the thorns and the rocks and, and the path and everything. But I kind of get it. You want, you want the soil, to la- the, the word of God, the seed to land on you and do some stuff. But the disciples, they're new to all this. They're very new to it. And so they asked Jesus to explain it. Here's what he says. It's in Matthew 13, 18 through 23. I love his explanation. And we'll pay really close attention, especially to the first part. 
Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that fell on the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but wor the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, welcome to America, right? Choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So he just gives a general, this is what it is. I believe the key to understanding this parable for us is in that first verse, um, Matthew 13, 18, when he says, listen to what it means. And in verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown on the path. Let's, if we can, can I pause here? You guys are so nice. You're, my, you're like, who's this long-haired guy? Looks like Woody from Toy Story or like half Woody, half Jesus. Like he's talking to me. You guys are kind. Thank you. Thank you for letting me pause. That word understand. We hear that word. We think brain. No, get it. Like I memorized it. I went to school. I understand it. I can also do the algebra now, right? I can do the math. I can spell the words. This word, it's a Greek word, and it's gnosko, and I only know that because I know how to use Google, so don't think I like went and studied Greek words. I'm no smarter than you. I know how to use Google, so do you. Just type Greek word for understand, you'll get it. And what it means is to apprehend, to grab, and take hold of with your five senses. In other words, to know. A lot of times when the word understand or know is used, it has this kind of marriage, physical intimacy, like pull to it. Like to really know. Like, I know Papa Mike and we're close, but I know Anna. Like I know her even more and I know deeper parts of her. And, 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 and although my intimacy with Papa Mike will grow and grow and become more and more and more and more, it will never get to the level of knowing. And so that, that I know my wife. And so that word, Jesus says, is this type of know, the really deep good know. So I know with my five senses. And I've put it, once you know something with your five senses, and I say like, how does that burrito taste? And you know it with your five senses, you begin to explain it because you've experienced it. If you can explain something out of your experience, you usually find yourself saying something like, you just, you're just going to have to try it. You're just going to have to taste it. These television cooking shows, they do their very, very best. And the people are like, the crunchiness of the cake met with the savoriness of the... And we're just sitting there going, you can use as many words as you want, 
but if you're not going to share that piece of cake with me, I'm going to change the channel. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to watch you eat a piece of cake. I would like to experience the cake if it's possible. And then once you experience it, if you're anything like me, you start running around the house giving everybody, you got to try this. 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 So you experience it with your five senses. And the analogy that we get is that we are now the soil. So, so we're, a plane, we're the plane up here. And the word comes... And it, and it comes down and it lands on us. And if it stays right here, then the birds come and snatch it away. Jesus says the birds are the enemy. Now, we, there's a lot of books written on spiritual warfare and different incantations you can say in different ways you're supposed to pray. Some of them are good. Some of them are wacky. You know, there's a ton of different opinions on all of this stuff. But a lot of it boils down to... If the word of God, if we hear the message about the kingdom and we try our best to embrace it with our experience, it crosses, it lands on us and it passes through the soil down into, this is where we get the language of our heart, but I would add our experience, what I taste, what I see, what I touch, what I smell, what I hear. If it passes down into my experience and it's deep in the soil, guess what? It can't be stolen by the birds anymore. Their beaks aren't that long. They don't have opposable thumbs and they can't use a shovel and they can't dig it up. And neither does the enemy. He can't. There's a place when, when the word, when the message of the kingdom starts to get into our experience on more than the level of I sat in church and I listened to it when I started to apply it and I started to use the prayer practice in my life and I started to use the practice of reading this word in my life and I started to say, you know what? If the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, then I should actually not just be kind when I'm like all dressed up, I should be kind to my kiddos at home. And so I'm going to take that word, I'm going to practice it, that kindness, and all of a sudden it gets deeper down here and all of a sudden it's not stolen. And then this magical thing happens. You feel less schizophrenic. You don't go to church and it's like, oh, that was such a good word. And then the dryer breaks and you're just like, ah, I can't believe it's happening again. Man, that was such a good word. Oh, I can't believe they said that to me. They just, I was having a really good day. I was having a great day over here. I was receiving the word. And then this person did this thing to me. And it's just like, you're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What they say means as much as what you hear over here. And what you hear over here, it doesn't quite mean as much as what they say. And you're just, you're just a ping pong ball back and forth, back and forth. Because simply, we're not just hearers of the word. We're understanders of the word when we become understanders of the word. So it comes down in here and it takes root and then stuff, stuff starts to happen. Now, that's, this is why this is important to me. We in this culture, and believe me, like I've had the opportunity to speak in a lot of different places. You won't hear me say, I've been really blessed to speak in a lot of places or I've been really blessed to speak in like some big places. And I have. But in this culture, for some reason, we have, we have the opinion that bigger is better. And that more is better. 
And that's not the reality of, of Jesus at all. All the people just leave. He starts talking about farming. They don't want to hear about farming. They want to hear the next big epiphany. And then he ends it with, he who has ears, let him hear. And then people actually have to stay around longer to find out what it means. And then if they want to actually apply it, they got to stay around longer and walk around with him and figure it out. And it's few that do that. You see this whittling down process happen with Jesus. He goes to the mega church and he preaches there. And then everyone says, I don't know how that went. It was okay. I don't, the music, you know, the, the fog was a little thick. I don't know. For me today, the, light, the lights, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't every, everything that I had hoped and dreamed. And then he whispers at the end of the message, he who has ears, let him hear. Your soil. And I want to go down past that layer and deep. So, so we can talk about the other things, the stones and the thorns, and we can talk about all of that. But a lot of believers in this country, we're just, we're still at level one. Like it, it's either on the path or it's going down deeper. It's either being snatched away because we're not choosing to wrap our experience around it of what's being said or it's going down deep and it's starting to grow some things. So, level two, if we, just, if we can just leave uh, that verse back up, verse 19. It's when anyone hears the message about the kingdom. The kingdom. Like, that's like the abstract term. It's like, you experience in the kingdom? Yeah, man, amen. Love the kingdom. You like the kingdom? I like the kingdom. We're all about the kingdom. Let's worship. Let's go to the kingdom. The kingdom's coming. What is the kingdom? What's the kingdom? All we have to go on is what Jesus said about the kingdom. And here's what he says about the kingdom. He says, when you pray, you should pray like this. Father in heaven, how holy is your name? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth, just like it's done in heaven. Kingdom. Let's translate to our time, government. God, let your government come and let your will be done on earth just like it's done in heaven. And so when we begin to experience the kingdom, it's when we start to ask questions like, uh, like our friend Taylor would ask. In heaven, is there anyone who is blind? In, in heaven, is there blindness? No. So we pray. Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And we claim that there's no blindness in heaven. Father, let your kingdom come and we claim that there's no poverty in heaven. Father, let your kingdom come and we claim that there's no drugs and there's no murder in heaven. And so we begin to take this stuff out into our experience and declare these things in the places that we exist, not just when we gather together. So when I go home to my house in the Edison neighborhood of Kalamazoo, I begin to walk my neighborhood and I begin to pray, let your kingdom come. And then I meet people and I say, can I pray for you? And they say, yes. And then we pray and I say, Lord, let your kingdom come. And I can do that super specifically for anybody. They can say, my lights have been shut off and all my power's out and I have five kids. This is what happened last week. And I have five kids and my back hurts and the list goes on and we gather around and we say, Father, let your kingdom come. 
Because backs don't hurt in heaven. Because power's not out in heaven. It's actually pretty bright in heaven, believe it or not. And because all the kids are safe in heaven, and we can say, Lord, let your kingdom come. And so when you hear the message about the kingdom, but you don't let it sink down into your experience, it's just going to get snatched away. And you're going to find yourself saying things like, man, I thought God was going to do something. I really thought he was going to do something. But when you let it sink down into your experience here, and you begin to have ears to hear and eyes to see, instead of saying, man, I had these expectations that God was going to do something, and I prayed about it, and I just I didn't see it happen, and it's just stolen away by spiritual darkness, you begin to say something like this. God, what are you up to that I'm, I don't see? What are you doing that I don't see right now? Where are you moving? Because I have had this expectation of seeing you in this way, but what are you actually doing? That's much deeper. Can I give you an example of this? Since we're on the theme of blindness... We're going to go to John 9. Jesus hears this, heals this blind guy. I didn't tell John to look up John 9, so sorry about that. But he is, he's, look at that. I didn't even need to, oh, it's still, but he, look at this. Look at that. Look what God's doing. He's up to something. Jesus heals this blind man. Let's just read it. Because we got to ask the question, what is God, what's God up to that we don't see that he's up to? And if we can begin to see that, guess what we're doing then? We're wrapping our experience around the seed and what God is doing. And that's going to bear something deeper. You're going to feel it. You're actually going to feel it inside of you in a minute. So here, here we go. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let's stay right there for a second. Who sinned so that this guy was born blind. Such a stupid question, right? Not for the disciples, because they were taught in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, that if you're born blind, it's because your parents or grandparents worshipped other gods. I mean, it, it's, it, it says it in there. And so they're like, who sinned? And it's kind of like this, like, it's kind of like this peacocking, you know? Like, I know the word, Jesus. Yeah. Hey, Jesus, there's a blind guy. Who sinned? Who sinned? Who sinned, Lord? And Jesus, like you're expecting Jesus to be like, hey, you've been reading Deuteronomy, haven't you? Oh, you're first to it. You're first to the button. You win. You're, you're, you're the number one disciple. Jesus, Jesus blows their minds, though. Here's what he says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Whoo, man. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Oh, man. It is very powerful because we're good soil. Because we're beginning to feel and see what Jesus is doing and wrapping our experience around this. And so then, he says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And he continues, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with saliva, we'll stay on this verse, and put it on the man's eyes. 
Can you imagine, like, Jesus walks up to you, one of the first things you hear is, like, you're blind, you hear Jesus is in town, you're like anticipating, I heard he, I heard he heals the blind. I heard Jesus heals the blind. And so you're like, maybe he'll see me. Maybe he'll come to me. I heard that he went to Jericho and went all the way to Zacchaeus' house, like the worst person there. Maybe he'll find me. I heard that he, I heard that he saved like a prostitute from being killed, like the most judged person. Maybe he'll come to me. I heard that he went to a woman who nobody would touch because, because she was unclean and he touched her. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll come to me. And then you hear... Here's another thing that I want to share with you because I know how to use Google. Jewish people during this time were highly influenced by Greek mythology. If you, if you, look, if you find a map and you really look at it, you'll see the Greek area and, and, and all that was going on there and, and what the Jewish people were trying to do. It's really kind of in a tight area. And so Jewish people became very mystical and started to believe a lot of stuff that, that Greek people said. And one of the myths that got passed down was, yeah, this was a curse from Deuteronomy, but if you don't want that curse to get on you, you got to keep those cooties away. So in elementary school, we like, I don't know, cross our fingers or we got to touch somebody else and pass the cooties on. You know, how shameful is that, right? To the kid who gets stuck with it or the kid who always gets that these people these people did the same thing they just decided that if you want to keep that blindness curse off of you you have to spit at the person and so here's a blind man and and and, and, it, and it didn't get translated practically always spitting although some did it got translated just kind of you know i see a blind person they're blind over here so when i walk by i'm and the curse is off of me. The curse doesn't get to touch me. It, we, we do it all the time. It, it, Jewish people during that time were really good at crossing on the other side of the street. They're just really good at crossing on the other side of the street. Jesus actually told a story about it called the parable of the Good Samaritan, where one of the main points is when you're in the kingdom, you don't get to go to the other side of the street. You don't get to go to the other side of the street when you're in the kingdom. You've got to stay on the side of the street you're on, and you've got to come across the people that God has put in front of you, and you've got to stay on that side of the street. You don't get to choose. Jesus puts people in front of you. And so these people have, had been spitting at this man his whole life. Why his whole life? He was born blind. So his whole life is not just, I'm blind and that's a bummer. His whole life is, I'm blind and people spit at me. And that's the worst. Because that spitting at you says, I don't want what you have on you. I don't want it on me because there's something wrong with you. You were created wrong. There was something wrong with you when you came out of your mother's womb. And I don't want to get that thing on me. So I'm going to keep that curse off of me. Shame. Shame. If guilt is the belief you've done something wrong, shame would be the belief, I am the thing that is wrong. And this man has been told by other people created in the image of God that he is the thing that's wrong. And so Jesus comes along and says in front of the blind man, as the disciples are going, who sinned, Jesus? Who sinned? Who, whose fault is it? 
It's nobody's fault. The glory of God is about to be revealed. And then he goes, the most glorious salvation ever. <laughs> A little play on words, get it? Salvation, salvation. I just made that up on the spot. Right then. Here's what happens. And people are like, don't ever do that again. That's gross. Here's what happens. The man gets cured of his blindness, but he also gets cured and healed of his shame. The one thing that was keeping people away from him, that was telling him he was unlovable, that he was unaccepted, that he was untouchable, that he had a curse on him that made him not enough, the spit of others. Jesus uses that exact same thing to heal the man. Now something's going on. Now we're wrapping our experience around the word. Jesus uses the thing that was used to bring the most shame to this man, and he uses it to heal him. So now when we look at a woman who's been bleeding, <coughs> who is unclean, who no one will touch because she is unclean. And we find that she pushes her way through a crowd. She reaches out to touch the hem of Jesus's garment and he stops everyone and says, who touched me? That yes, he he's not just healing her bleeding. He's healing her shame. Wow. You're no longer untouchable. Did you know? My wife is really smart. She did study on this one time. In the book of Luke, every person that Jesus healed that he could have touched, he doesn't touch. But every person that he wasn't supposed to touch, he touched. Because Jesus doesn't just heal the thing you think he needs to heal. He heals the whole person. So we might ask the question, Lord, what are you doing on the north side? Here's Vanguard North. We're being faithful and we're trusting that you're going to do something. And Jesus isn't saying, I think if you uh, add some laser lights up here, maybe a fog machine in the back, um, maybe get some more comfy chairs, Raise that stage up a little higher. <laughs> then I'm going to do a work. No. Jesus says, the message of the kingdom is going to be dropped to you. It's the message, let your kingdom come to the north side and let your will be done on the north side. Just like it's done in heaven. There's no ecstasy trains in heaven. There's no, there's no drugs in heaven. There's no murders in heaven. And Jesus is saying, if we could just let that seed fall, come down into our experience and begin to ask the question, God, what are you really up to? Removing our expectations away, taking our expectations away from Vanguard North is supposed to be a multi-million you know, member church here. What if Vanguard North 
is simply meant to do one thing, and that's change the entire atmosphere of the north side. Whether anyone gets glory for it or not. What if Vanguard North is supposed to do that one thing? Just through wrapping our experience around what God's Word is saying. Then that, my friends, would be good soil. Am I doing all right? So here we go. Here's where I'll, here's where I'll end it today. Where'd I put my, where'd I put, I had some sunflowers. Oh, I'm going to get my sunflowers. Any seeds on them? That's a perfect question. Look at these sunflowers. They were just in our kitchen and I grabbed them. Look at this. Just look at it with me. See that? One little seed. One little seed that fell in the right place and didn't end up in a bag being eaten by a baseball team. (laughs) One little seed caused this flower to grow. And then that flower grows, and what happens? It turns into a bunch of flowers. Why? Because it, it drops a bunch of seeds. Oh! Look at that. It drops a bunch of seeds. So if we begin to take God's word and the message of the kingdom, John was sharing about a dream that he had last week. It was powerful. Papa Mike was preaching about servanthood the week before that. It was incredibly powerful. And we, if we're going to walk out of that message and say, you know what, my my call is not to be a leader. My call is to be a servant. And people say, man, you're a good leader. No, I'm a servant. And we begin to embrace that word and let it wrap into our experience down here. Then we're going we're gonna to produce a crop that's 30, 60, 100 times what we are capable of. Because the word of God's going to take shape in us. Amen. So your dirt, your soil, and that's a good thing. Next time somebody calls you dirt, you say, Amen. <laughs> I am good dirt. I am good soil because the Word of God goes deep in me and wherever I put my feet, little seeds just pop out. So let's hold our hands out. Father, thank you so much for making us soil. Thank you so much for planting your Word in us, whether we receive it or not, over and over and over. And today we say as a body, that exists in love together as a community that represents Jesus, we receive your word. We receive the message of your kingdom. And we ask that you use us and multiply what's happening in Vanguard North all throughout the north side of Kalamazoo and let it change this atmosphere. Father, and no more in Jesus' name, may the birds of the air and the enemy steal that word and cause us to be schizophrenic Christians. Lord, we want your word to be down deep in us every single time that we come to hear it, every single time that we come to worship, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.